are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. How are we doing today? Doing good? It's good to be here. Hey, many of you know uh, over the past couple weeks that uh, I have been in a, a darker place than I have been in a long time. Uh, you know some of the details of that of that journey, but as I get started today, I just, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I have felt your prayers in a very real way. One of the things that God has reminded me of is that uh, if I'm going to proclaim it in the light, if I'm going to proclaim that gospel truth, if I'm going to talk about faith when it is good, then I also have to talk about faith when it is bad. And so God has been sustaining me through that as uh, I've been on a journey, and uh, I could not be doing it without your faithfulness and your prayers, and I feel them in a very, very real way. So thank you for for doing that. Uh, As we get started, dads, I want you to stand up. Fathers, jump up on your feet. Stand up. Here we go. If you're a dad, I love it. I love it. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stand. Stay standing. Stay standing. You don't get off that easy. You don't get off that easy. You guys look great. Hey, this is the daddy team right here. We're the daddy team right here. Hey, I want to say something to you really quickly, and God really put this on my heart last night. Uh, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do for Father's Day, and it just became overwhelming to me that there was just something that I wanted to share with you today, just really briefly, uh, right off the top. The thing that I'm about to share with you, though, you're not going to hear. And you're not going to hear it for two reasons, and I'm convinced of this. You're not going to hear it, one, because you've heard it so much before. If you spent any amount of time in the church, what I'm about to tell you, you have heard over and over and over again. But the second reason you're going to have a hard time hearing it is this. You think it's for someone else. You think what I'm about to share with you is for someone else. You think that this message that you hear is for more for your wife and it's more for you to pass on to your kids. It's less about you actually experiencing it. So what I want you to do is I want you to open your mind and your heart for what I'm about to tell you because I want you to hear it in a very, very real way. You ready? God is madly in love with you. Listen to me. God is madly in love with you. And I chose those reasons for, I chose those words specifically for a reason because they're uncomfortable for us. It's hard for us to hear this idea that somebody is madly in love with us. You've heard it over and over in the church, and we often hear that, and we just tend to try to teach our kids that, and we don't actually accept that kind of love for ourselves. You know, as you've journeyed through this thing called fatherhood, I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old, and it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, it's the most difficult task to date in my life is trying to figure out how to be a dad. And Hannah wants to have another one. I'm like, no, we're good. It doesn't matter how far you are in that journey of fatherhood. It doesn't matter if maybe it didn't turn out exactly the way that you dreamed or hoped it would. Or maybe the plans that you had for a son or a daughter didn't quite add up. It doesn't matter what shortcomings and failures you had as a father. There's not a single dad in here that has done it right. We're all just trying to figure it out. But here's what I know that God has been with you 
and God has been faithful, and the story of your children have not been all the way written yet. And if there is breath in your lungs, if your heart is still beating, there is still time for God to be faithful and use you. God is madly in love with you. And here's what I want you to know. Well done, dads. Well done. Live in the confidence that God is with you. Can we give it up for our fathers one more time? Love you guys. We're starting a new summer series uh, called Influencer. And the tagline to that is Lead Like Jesus. And the thing I don't want you to hear is I don't want you to automatically go, oh my goodness, a a series on leadership because some people recognize that maybe leadership is not something that they have. It's not something that they have to practice on a regular basis. But here's what I want to say to you. If you're a follower of Christ, you are very much so in the leadership game. If you claim to follow Jesus today, if Christ is your Lord and Savior and you are living an active part of the church and the community, you are very much in a leadership role. Because there is somebody in this world that knows that you are claiming to follow Christ and they are watching you and they're watching you very closely. And to be honest, they're not watching for you to succeed, they're waiting for you to fail. The world is waiting for you to mess up so that they can go, see, I knew they weren't living it right. See, I knew they weren't actually embodying the person of Jesus. And so if you claim to follow Christ, you are very much so in a leadership position. Somebody is watching you. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be engaged in this sermon series where we are looking to the life of Christ. We're looking to the person of Jesus, and we're going to go, what are the characteristics of Jesus where we see him developing and leading really, really well? And then we're going to draw out some of those characteristics that are hopefully going to be transformative for our own walk with Christ. I love our mission statement here at Bethany First Church. And some of you know it, some of you may not, but here's what it is. We are passionate. We are passionate. We don't just do it sometimes. It's not something we occasionally dabble in. No, we are passionate about becoming like Jesus. We are passionate about becoming like Jesus. That means that we are passionate about opening Scripture, looking at the life of Christ, and trying to become more like Him. And here's why. So that we can help others come to know Him. We are passionate about becoming like Jesus so that we can help others come to know him. So over the next several weeks, we're going to take stories where we see Jesus living out some of these characteristics that make him one of the most influential leaders in history. You know, Jesus never set out to be the most influential person in history. That was never his goal, but the character and the life that he lived made him, with God, the most influential person in history. So I'm excited to be preaching uh, this sermon series. So I want to start this morning with a story that I love to tell. Uh, it's one of, my, one of my favorite stories, and it is an, a story of absolute chaos, 
Uh, has anybody ever lived in chaos? Just to show me, you've lived in some chaos. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, maybe I'm the only one. There's just a few of us. It's a story of absolute chaos, and it, it started a couple years ago when we found out that Hannah and I were pregnant with our first child, Ellie. And uh, we found this news out, and it was exciting because it was something we wanted. We felt like we were, we were kind of ready, you know, but I had a lot of people tell me. They said, Chris, you will never be ready to have a child. Anybody, have you said that to anybody? Nod your head. You've probably said that, hey, there's nothing you can do to be prepared to have a child. And so we were like, okay, this is the journey. This is what we're going to do. And so we, were, we found out we were pregnant. I remember a few months into that, uh, into Hannah's pregnancy, she came to me and she said, um, hey, I got to talk to you. Uh, there's something that I really want to do, all right? I, I, I really want to, I want to have an all-natural child birth. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't know if that's a, that's a great idea. Modern medicine has advanced. There are, there are, you don't have to do that anymore, you know. We, we don't live in the Stone Age. We, you can get the epidural. I mean, you can just kind of chill, hang out. This thing will just come. We don't have to do that. She says, no, no, I, this, this is what I want to do. I want to have all-natural childbirth. And in fact, I want to do a method called the Bradley Method. Anybody know about the Bradley Method? Anybody? Okay, we're the only ones. All right couple people right there like that's us but I don't want to admit it she said I want to do the Bradley method and it's husband coached childbirth is it husband coached childbirth and here's the thing I don't coach very many things especially childbirth that's not something I'm into that's not something that uh, I envisioned for my future that I would ever do husband coached childbirth said we're going to go to these classes and we're going to take these classes and we're going to learn about this so I said okay if that's what you want let's do it I remember showing up to the first Bradley Method class, and I'm looking at the other dads like, are you, is this real? Are we in this together? You're doing this also? And we kind of just had this, uh, you know, this agreement, like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Let's not talk about it outside of this room. I remember we started going through the classes, and uh, it was getting intense, the training and, and the, the methods and uh, the exercises that we were having to do at home. It really, it really all of a sudden, it, it came to me one night. When Hannah said, hey, hey, it's time, we got to do our, our Bradley method exercise. And she's really pregnant at this point. And she said to us, she said, here's the deal. We, we've got we've to get down on the ground. And um, I said this in first service. It didn't go great, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with it. Because this was the moment, all right? This is what I first realized. She said, we got to get on the ground. We got to do our, our pelvic thrust exercises. I was like, Okay. So next thing I know, I find myself, Hannah right here, me right here, on all fours, and we're doing our pelvic thrusting exercises. And that was the moment that I realized, who is Brad and what does he know about natural childbirth? <laughs> Seriously, who are you, Brad? Who are you? And I am convinced of the fact that Brad and his wife, whenever they created this, they for some reason couldn't get to the hospital. They had nothing else to do. And so that, they ended up having natural childbirth right there on the spot. And I think it went well. I think the baby was born. And uh, then the wife just said to her friends, hey, you should try Brad's method. It worked out great. <laughs> like, I'm convinced of that. But we did it. We trained. We prepared and one night on a Monday evening, I had done something really sentimental. If you know me at all, sentiment just doesn't pour from me. It's not, you know, it's just not just oozing out of me like these love things that some, I see some guys do on Instagram. So I'm like, man, that's special. Hope Hannah doesn't see that, you know. 
And I remember I had decided I'm going to do something special. And so I had planned an entire week. Ellie was supposed to be born on a Friday or Saturday. And at the start of that week, I, I called it labor week. And I had something planned every night of the week for Hannah as she was going to move through labor. And it was going to be an incredible week, very special. And I was going to post it all on Instagram. You guys were all going to tell me how great it was and how good of a husband I am and all this kind of stuff. And so that Monday, I had just left a CrossFit workout where we had done a uh, personal record on squat. And so my legs were exhausted, tired. And I got home, and I had scheduled a prenatal massage for Hannah, just this really special event. And so they had come to our house, and and I remember I said, hey, all right, have fun. I'm going to take Remy on a walk. I wasn't really thinking about the fact that it was going to be a 60-minute massage. That's a long time to walk a dog around the neighborhood. And so I'm walking Remy around the neighborhood, and I get back home, and I'm like, hey, Hannah, how was she? It was awesome. Thank you so much. That was so cool. We're sitting on the couch. She's just folding laundry, and we're just talking. It's a big week for us. And all of a sudden, she goes, oh. And I go, what? She goes, I think think that was a contraction. I said, oh, no, probably not. Probably not. (laughs) So we waited a few more minutes. The next thing, oh, oh. I said, what? She was, that's definitely a contraction. I'm like, no, we still have like five days. Like, you know, we're not ready. We wait a few more minutes. Next thing you know, another contraction. All of a sudden she says, get out your phone. We got to start timing it, which I had been trained on this. I knew exactly what to do. Pull out my phone. We're timing it. I'm like, oh my goodness, that, that was nine minutes right there. Next thing you know, oh, yep, that was nine minutes again. This is real. These are real contractions. Once this train has started, you can't stop it, all right? It is, it is headed in that direction. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I was supposed to have five days more to prepare for this. And next thing you know, we're timing those contractions. We're timing those contractions. At some point, I realize... I should probably pack a bag. Like, this is probably something I should do. We are probably headed to the hospital pretty soon. Of course, Hannah was already packed. I mean, just everything laid out, super organized, ready to go. I'm packing a bag. I realize that, okay, I'm on. Husband, coach, childbirth. This was the plan. I get out the exercise ball, which, by the way, I thought I had five days to still air that thing up, but I I didn't. It was here and now, and this thing was still in the box. I pull out the exercise ball. I'm realizing the pump is just a tiny little yellow foot pump, just like this much air at a time. And so I'm sitting there in between contractions. I'm pumping it up with my foot. I'm pumping it up. It's going so slow. I'm using my hands to try to get it pumped up. I finally get it aired up, and we are just, we are in the middle of it. We labor at home till four in the morning. Four in the morning, we call the hospital, so we're on our way. I remember getting the car loaded up, we head to the hospital, and then I remember that I had gotten a video camera, but I didn't get a SIM card for it. And I really wanted like a home movie, you know? Like I remember my parents had home movies of the childbirth. Like that's what I wanted. We don't have home movies anymore. And so I said, Hannah, I, I, I know you're in labor, but i got to stop at Walgreens. Are you cool with me stopping at Walgreens? It's, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. She's like, whatever, okay, it's fine. Just stop at Walgreens. I go, okay, I'll be so fast. I run into Walgreens. I leave my pregnant wife in labor in the car at 4 in the morning outside of a 24-hour Walgreens. I run inside. I'm like, hey, man, I, I need a SIM card. So we're studying him. We're looking at him. He helps me. Super nice guy. I get the SIM card, we jump in the car, we go to the hospital. 
We pull into the hospital, we jump out, we get her checked into a room, and at that point, in between contractions, I'd be like, all right, you're good, I've got about a minute and a half. So I'd run down the hospital hallway into my car, and I'd grab the exercise ball, and I'd run that back into the room. We'd do the other contraction. I'd run back out, pillows, uh, all the luggage. You would think we were moving into that place. No lie, we had so much stuff. It was crazy. My last trip out to the car the security guard who had been watching me the entire time, he has the nerve to say this to me. He says, first kid? I go, uh, I'm out of breath. I go, uh, yeah, yeah, first kid. He goes, I can tell. I'm like, okay. I jump in the car. I move it to a parking spot. I open the door, and I just throw up right there in the parking lot. Just one solid throw up right there. Just a nice, solid flow. I just throw up one time. I shut the door like it was part of the routine, and I lock it, and I run back inside. Like, I didn't stand there and think about it. It just happened, and I shut it, lock it, and go. Get in there. We do the whole process. Ellie ends up being born about 10 a.m., that morning, and it was just the most incredible experience. It was an absolute whirlwind of emotion. It was chaotic, it, but it was so special. I remember when Ellie was born, like, I just remember thinking, like, ah, oh, I want to see you, but I couldn't see you because I was crying so hard that Ellie and Hannah were just blurry. Like, that was so many tears in my eyes. They were just blurry. I'm wiping them, like, trying to get my first glimpse. It's an amazing experience. But it was absolute chaos. Do you remember a time in life where there was just this moment of chaos? It's like everything is buying for your attention. It's just you're moving through life so quickly. You're trying to make important decisions. You're, you're trying to make rational thoughts come to realization. You're working so hard and, and everybody needs you. And, and it's just chaos in your life. I want to read a story out of Scripture that articulates probably a moment for Jesus similar to my story of chaos. And it starts in verse 29 out of Mark chapter 1. I want you to listen to this story and then we'll talk about it. As soon as they left the synagogue, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Verse 32, that evening, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed, the whole town gathered at the door. I want that to sit in in your mind just for a moment because it's a part of scripture we can often read past. That evening after sunset, it's nighttime. Jesus had already been probably working all day. Jesus had been doing things that Jesus does. He's probably been healing. He's probably been preaching. He's been walking around. He's been talking with people. He's been doing what Jesus has done. His disciples who are following him had already been working. 
They're learning about Jesus. They're, they're figuring out what his mission is, what he's called to do, what, who this Jesus guy is, and the message that he's bringing. And they had been at work all day, and now it's evening. The sun has set. It is overtime. Someone should be getting paid time and a half. And Jesus is still working. And I love it. I love the imagery of the whole town gathering at the door. Can you imagine a doorway? There's probably only five or six people that are catching a glimpse inside the door as Jesus is healing. But the entire town is filled outside in the street. And I don't think Mark is exaggerating here. I think he's telling the truth because I can imagine that if all of a sudden we caught word that Jesus was in Bethany, if truly, if Jesus was in Bethany, he's at a home and he's healing people, I think this place would have a mass exodus right here. I think we would jump up and go, let me go catch a glimpse. And word would spread and people would try to figure out and they would start bringing their sick and the people that need healing the most. And so the whole town had gathered. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And he started to drive out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who Jesus was. Here's the passage I really want us to get into. In verse 35, it says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. You see, in this passage, the town, the people, they had a desperate need for Jesus. And he had been working all night, healing many. And yet he still found himself in this place very early in the morning, knowing exactly where he should go, knowing exactly what he should do. I imagine that he was exhausted. I imagine that he was worn out. I imagine that he was tired. And he gets up. And he goes and he finds a quiet place. And he spends a few moments with his father. And there he prays. And I love the next verse where all of a sudden his disciples begin to wake up and they begin to realize that Jesus is not here, but they also realize that the town is still gathered at the door. And they begin to realize, where is Jesus? We have got to find him. All these people need him. And in fact, they've gone and they've gotten more people. And his companions go and they find him. And when they find him, they say to Jesus, where have you been? Everyone is looking for you. Everybody is looking for you. Do you ever have that moment in that day, that chaotic, uh, that, chaos, that chaotic day where you feel like everyone needs you? That you need to make every decision. It's as if everything revolves around you. That the weight of the world is on your back. 
when I think about that moment, it's hard for me not to think about my mom. Because I remember many nights my mom would have worked all day. She gets home. She picks us up from school. She would, she would get us dinner. Uh, we would have to go to soccer practice or whatever other things were going on in her life. And then I remember it being like 9 o'clock at night, and I still need things from my mom. And I'd be like, hey, mom, mom, mom. I'm like five feet from you. Mom. And it's as if I'm not even there. She's just tuned out. It's like I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. You ever had that feeling, those days where it's like, man, everybody is looking for me. I mean, life is chaotic. It's tough to keep it all straight. And I love Jesus' response. He says, let us go somewhere else. Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby village, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Let us go somewhere else, to a nearby village, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I was at a conference a few years ago, and uh, a therapist uh, who had been practicing counseling and therapy for a long time, she was leading one of the breakout sessions. And she was uh, teaching and talking to all young pastors. And I remember she, she brought to us uh, this word and this term that I had personally never heard before. But I guess it's a term for counseling and therapists that they use often. And she asked us this question. She said, have you ever heard about shallow breathing? Have you ever heard this term, shallow breathing? And I don't know about everybody else in the room, but I personally hadn't. And she said, it's actually a symptom that many Americans deal with that they have no idea that they deal with. Because of the busyness and the pace of our life, because of the way in which we organize and structure our days, Many Americans, unlike many other parts of the world, don't deal with this same issue as we do. Because of the media that we consume, the information overload that our brains can't even process. Because of the things that we add and add and add to our life. We suffer from a condition called shallow breathing. And here's the condition. Because our breath matches the way in which we live. And because of the speed at which we live life, and because of the shallowness of many relationships that we have in our life, we have actually trained our bodies not to breathe with all of our lungs. We've trained our chest to do the breathing for us. And what that does is, is over and over and over again, we suffer from shallow breathing. We forget what it's like to take a full, deep breath. Your breath matches the way in which you live. And she began to explain to us more in detail about that. And then she began to give us exercises and practices that as pastors and leaders we can do for some self-care. 
And I remember sitting in that seminar and conference, and for the first time in a long time that I could remember, all of a sudden I reminded myself what it feels like to have a full, deep breath. How long has it been for you? How long has it been for you since you've paused long enough and spent enough amount of time in a quiet, solitary place and you caught your breath? The truth is, is that most of us think very little about our future it's not that you don't think about it at all. We, we're always thinking a little bit about our future, but we think very, very little about it. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We tend to get very comfortable with what we have. But I think one of the biggest reasons for that is because we have so much to manage right where we are. We have so much to take care of right where we are. From family, jobs, church, volunteering, finances. There's so much in our life that we have to manage right now. That it keeps us from thinking about the future that God might be having for us. You see, there's always going to be the urgent and immediate things in our life. You see, the urgent and the immediate will always consume the important. I want you to hear that one more time. The urgent and the immediate will always consume the important. I have a, uh, a mentor in my life, and uh, I wish I could call him a dear friend, but the truth is he has no idea that I exist. Uh, that's the honest truth. Uh, Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church, is somebody that mentors me through a variety of sermons podcasts, things that I listen to. Uh, I wish he was a mentor. If you have a connection, yeah, hook me up. I would love that. One time we were up in the office and uh, we were talking about a podcast that Craig had, had uh, written and several of us young pastors in the room. We were like, man, we just wish we could spend like an hour with him. Maybe a lunch would be awesome. And the conversation got really sideways to, I don't think that's ever going to happen. We need to kidnap him and then we'll be able to spend a little time with him. We're like, where is this going? This is getting real off track. But he's a mentor of mine, and he, he, he has a leadership podcast that I listen to a lot. And one of the most transformational things that he talked about in that podcast is this idea that the urgent and the immediate will always consume the important. There is always going to be urgent and immediate needs that drive up in our life. And if we're not careful, we will constantly tend to those things one after the other after the other. And next thing you know, the important gets pushed way to the back. And one of the things in that podcast he challenges us to do is he says, you need to write down the three most important things in your life. And so about a year ago, I started doing this. I wrote down, I, I wrote down the three most important things, and the first one was family. The second one was personal development, both in my Christian walk and in my job. And the third was working out. And all of a sudden, those three things rose to the top for me. These are the most important things in my life. And so I started scheduling those things first on my calendar. 
The first thing I do every week is I go through and I put the nights that I'm going to be home. When am I going to spend time with family? What time am I going to be home? The next thing I do is in my week, I take out blocks of time for personal development. And then the third thing I do is I put out the times in which I'm going to work out. And then I take all the urgent and the immediate and the meetings and the conversations and the, the, the life stuff that we have to deal with and those things fill in between. You see, Jesus found a way to live this life. And he did it really well. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of urgent and immediate needs for an entire town, he somehow was able to carve out a time in which he could slip away and go spend time doing what's important, which was praying with the Father. You see, there's always going to be something trying to buy for your attention. There's always going to be a need that is directly before you. There's always going to be a fire that you need to put out, a crisis to manage, a problem to solve, a relationship to repair, or your own shortcomings that you're going to have to work through. Those are always going to be there. And if we don't have the important on our radar, if we don't have the important scheduled in our time, it's no wonder that we live with shallow breath. It's no wonder that we live life with shallow relationships. It's no wonder that we have forgotten as a people what it's like to breathe deep and truly rest for even a moment. You see, the thing I love about this scripture, which is so simple for us today, you see, the world is going to always want to create your agenda. The world is going to always want to fill your time. The world is always going to want to sell you something. And there's always going to be needs for you. But what's truly the most important? You see, I believe with everything in me that if we can begin to create a lifestyle where even in the midst of chaos we find time to slip away and you create these moments where you can spend with the Father, I think all of a sudden the urgent and the immediate begin to prioritize for us and then we handle those things better. We're more equipped to make a better and quicker decision. We're more prepared in order to face something that maybe we don't know is coming. After Ellie was born, it was a, it was a crazy day. Family, friends, coming to the hospital, visiting, praying with us. We go into the night, visiting hours are over. And I recall all these conversations with many uh, dads in the room who have shared this with me. They said to me, you'll never be ready to have a kid. There's no time that is a good time. You'll never feel prepared enough, but you'll know exactly what to do. Some of you are like, yeah, I've told many people that. You'll never be ready, but when it happens, you'll know exactly what to do. You'll just figure it out. 
that night, it was about four in the morning. I had only been asleep for just a couple hours. And uh, I, I remember a nurse had come in and she was checking on Ellie. And, uh, and so I'd kind of woke up because I'm sleeping on this really horrible, you know, bed couch thing. And the nurse had woke me up and I remember setting up and the nurse leaves and Hannah was still asleep. And it was just this really quiet, still moment for me. And I'm sitting there in the room, and I'm just looking as Hannah is asleep, and as my new, brand new baby girl is just sound asleep, all swaddled and cuddled. And it was so quiet, and it was so still. And I had been awake for like 34 hours. And all of a sudden, God met me right there. And I just began to cry out with thanksgiving and praise to God. I just began to pray about this girl and about this now responsibility that we had. I began to pray, what am I going to do? And I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace in my life. That God had now given me a new calling. My calling had not changed from what he had originally been calling me to do. In fact, he just grew my capacity to handle more. And that capacity was now to be a dad. You see, those brief moments that I spent with God, I just began to receive this new calling. I knew what was next for me. You see, we often get in a place where we're stuck. We don't know what's next. We don't know where to go from here. We have so much to manage as it is. Sometimes it's everything we can do just to hold on to what we have, to keep the household running, to handle the next task. And Jesus shows us in this passage and many others that despite those things that are trying to consume us, he still makes time to go meet with the Father. And time and time again, when Jesus meets with the Father, he leaves that conversation knowing what his next decision is, knowing where the next place to go is, continuing to be reminded of the call that, that God has set before him. As we're celebrating 50 years in this sanctuary and what God has done, I was really reminded of this fact. That this being a sanctuary, this being a holy, sacred place, that every time we come through these doors and gather, these walls serve as a boundary to protect us from those things that are constantly trying to consume us. The busyness of life. And when we gather in this sanctuary, these very seats, in this very place, just for a brief moment, week after week after week, God is going, this is a safe place. This is a refuge for you. This is a place where you can meet with God. This is a place where you can breathe deep, even just for a moment. What we do here is probably the most important thing we do in our week. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, this is a leadership thing that we should start picking up and we should start building in 
the important into our life. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing. And as we sing, this is the response I have for you. Take a moment and breathe. Take a moment and spend some time in prayer. Take a moment and spend some time in worship. And when you're ready, you stand and we'll finish this song. Father, I'm so thankful for a place that we get to come and breathe. I'm thankful for a place and a sanctuary and holy ground where we get to meet with you every week. But Lord, you know that we're going to leave these, these doors. We're going to leave this place. And we, you know the chaos that is waiting for us when we get out. Lord, help us start to build in some margin in our life. Help us to start to build in some routines where we schedule time with you. Where we slip away from the chaos and we spend moments with you. God, we will be better people after hearing from you as we go and we navigate this life. So Lord, help us to worship. Help us to breathe deep. Help us to be reminded that you love us and that you forgive us and that you're here for us. It's in your name we pray. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.